And uh, we are looking at keeping your heart uh, with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And some of you weren't on last week. Let me just bring you very quickly up to date with where we are, right? Uh, every thought that you think is building a life. There's no small or insignificant thoughts. All our thoughts are actually going into building us a life. Um, Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Right? You know, they, they, they say that you are what you eat. Well, you are what you think uh, in a more specific way, the Bible says, because your thinking is going to produce your life. Uh, your life is going to come through your thinking. Um, <clears throat> Matthew 12, 35 says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things, right? So you, you can't bring forth good things from an evil heart. You can only bring forth good things from good heart. Uh, and remember, your heart in the Bible uh, is, it, 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 is not the pump that pumps the blood around your system. It's your thinking, all right? Matthew 15, 17 says, Do ye not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. They defile them. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And these are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man, right? So it's what's going on in your heart that either makes you clean or unclean. It's not the things that are outside of you. The disciples here had been accused that they were unclean because they had eaten with unwashing hands. But the truth is, Jesus says, no, that's not going to make them unclean. What's going on in the heart is what makes people clean. And then he gives the example. He says, uh, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, uh, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Those are the things going on in your heart that make their way out, uh, that make somebody unclean. All right. <clears throat> now, um, Luke 6.45 says this, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Here's your problem. Your problem is that eventually your mouth will betray your heart. Right? Eventually, what will come out of your mouth is what's actually in your heart. And we know that one because you hear somebody say something and all of a sudden you realize uh, they have a different opinion than you thought they did about you or, or some other situation because the mouth betrays what's going on uh, inside the heart, right? And we talked about changing the heart. And we talked about, first of all, making a commitment to right thinking. And the commitment is very important because it, it doesn't solve the whole problem for you. But making a commitment to think right does this for you. Uh, it puts you in the place where even though you may not get it right, you may not always think the right way. Because you've made a commitment to think right, when you don't think in the right way, you're going to be able to say to yourself, that's not right, I shouldn't be thinking this way. And that's really important because human beings have an incredible ability to justify what we do and to make what we do okay. But when we come to the place where we, where we start uh, making a commitment to think right, uh, then we've, we've made our first step uh, in, in this area of changing our thinking. And, and then we need to make a commitment to biblical thinking. And we talked last week at length about the, um, <clears throat> for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now that is huge. Those two verses are huge. 
it's talking about spiritual warfare. There is a war going on for your mind, for your thinking. Uh, the, the natural way for us to think is never up. It's always down. The natural way for us to think is never thinking in the right direction, but thinking in the wrong direction. There's a battle going on. The enemy's involved in it. And God says he has given us <clears throat> weapons that are not just carnal. It's not just you. It's not just your flesh doing this thing. God says uh, that they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And a stronghold in your mind is an area where you've accepted something as true that's not true, and the enemy has, has built on it for you. And when you accept something as true that's not true, you live out of that. great example of it from the Bible is Jacob. Jacob accepted that Joseph was dead. And um, because Joseph was dead, he spent the next 14 years of his life in mourning for Joseph. But Joseph wasn't dead at all. He was still alive. But because he believed a lie, he lived out of that lie. And we all do that. If we believe a lie, we live out of that lie. And we need to be able to, uh, <clears throat> to, to cast down imaginations, right? And every high thing. And here's, here's, how, here's how we're to notice it. It's every high thing that has exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Anything that goes up against the knowledge of God, uh, the understanding of God, uh, needs to be cast down and dealt with. And the quicker, the better. The sooner the better in your life that you deal with those things. Because if you don't deal with those things, they tend to kind of kind of infect you almost. Uh, you, you find there's, there's a, um, a stronghold being built in you, and you find that you're actually responding then out of that stronghold. You're living your life as though something were true, and it's not really true at all. all right? Now, tonight I want us to do this. I want us to look at uh, the things that influence us, uh, that, that, that influence our thinking, some good, some bad. I'm not sure we get through all of them. The first one, I think, is the, is the most important, right? You see, if we're going to think right, we're going to have to commit ourselves to a biblical thinking, right? <clears throat> to thinking the Bible way. Now, the problem for us here is that we don't know the Bible that well. Sometimes we think we do, but we don't know the Bible that way, uh, that well. But, I've told you this before, but going through the, the, the Gospel of Luke for me uh, has been a wonderful study. It's been just eye-opening. It's been such a blessing to me. And here's why. Um, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the express image of God the Father. So on a Sunday morning, what we're going through as we look at Luke is we're looking at God. We're looking at how God responds, how God deals with us, what we can expect from God. Right? And that's so helpful to me because... In so many areas, he's, it's correcting my thinking. And you're thinking about God, Tozer says, is the most important thing about you. What you actually think about God uh, is the most important thing about you. Uh, and I mean, I have a great example of my own life of that. I, I was raised with a thinking about God that told me that he was just a killjoy. He didn't like people. He was out to spoil our fun. If he didn't do it his way. Uh, he wanted to squish it. And I, I think, reasonably rejected that idea. I couldn't live with a God like that. And so I rejected him. Now, I found out much later that's not who God is at all. That what I was doing is I was believing a lie about God. And based on the belief in the lie about God, I responded by rejecting him. 
And I went off looking for God somewhere else, anywhere other than uh, in Christianity, because the God that was portrayed to me in the Catholic Church was just a God that was harsh and mean and really just wanted to spoil all the fun of the but, but as we look at Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and in, in any of the Gospels, we, we find a most, much different picture. I just before I, before I, I came on, I, I wrote down some thoughts uh, from the Gospel of Luke. And, and here's what I see. Now, you can add to this for yourself. Right? If, if, if we could actually talk back and forth, I'd have you tell me uh, what you think as well. But Jesus in Luke is very approachable, isn't he? Don't, 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 when you see people going to him uh, and talking to him, don't you feel, I could do that. I can go and talk to him. Um, he understands human nature. We don't see him being shocked by the woman at the well. I can't believe you have... You've had five husbands, and now you're living with a man. We don't seem shocked like that. He understands human nature. Now, he doesn't accept sin, but he's not shocked by what human beings do. Uh, he is infinitely patient, isn't he? Do you ever look at the disciples and think, what a bunch of dunderheads. Why don't they just get with the program and actually do what he wants them to do? I mean, I can see what he wants them to do. Why don't they see it and do it? But he is infinitely patient with those men. You see, he's got, he's got a plan that he's working to for their lives, and he knows he's going to bring that about. And where you and I lose patience, he's playing a long game with these guys. <clears throat> um, he is forgiving to a fault, isn't he? He's willing to forgive all the things, up to and including the soldiers that crucified him. You know, all you have to do is go to him for forgiveness. He is forgiving almost by his nature. He is loving. Now, not in a soppy, sentimental, make you feel good way. But he's loving in a do the right thing for everyone that comes to him way. And he does that marvelously. But he is loving. <clears throat> Basically, he's the kind of person you'd want to be around, isn't he? You know, that, that's, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this, this, this uh, character who is just everything you could want in a friend, in a person. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that God doesn't care about sin. Obviously, he does. That's why Jesus had to come and pay the price for sin. God is not this person who sits in heaven on a throne with a long flowing beard and an angry face ready to send um, lightning bolts your way whenever you get it wrong. That's not who he is. Now, your thinking about God is going to have a huge impact on how you live. Keep your thoughts with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. It's going to have a huge influence on how you live and on what you do. So. Let me ask you, who do you think God is when it comes down to it? Is he this person that can't be pleased? It doesn't matter how hard you try, you can't please him. Is he this person that, you know, you have to work day and night and, and hope you, you get it right? That's hard because, you know, the reality is, unless you delude yourself, you're not getting it all right. You know, we live in a same broken world. We're broken by sin, too. And the reality is we don't get it all right. So who do you think this God is? Who do you think this one that you serve is? Is he a, an angry taskmaster? 
You know, is he somebody who's just a stickler for rules? Is he, is he somebody that, that, that is quick to get angry? You see, your thoughts about who God is can actually be idolatrous. You can have an idol in your mind. You see, people that worship idols, they have a thought of a God who they have to kind of please, almost hoodwink into thinking they're, they're, they're doing things his way so that he would do right by them. But the God we serve is the God we find unfolding himself in the pages of Scripture to us. Particularly in the Gospels, we get to see, we get a bird's eye view of. Now, let me tell you <clears throat> what I see from my study of the Scripture. And I'm not going to back it all up at Scripture. It take way too long to do it tonight, right? But when I look at God in the Bible, I see somebody who is infinitely for us if we're for him. Right? Now, let's take the book of Psalms, for instance. We have much, much of the Psalms written by David. And I don't know about you, but when I'm, when I'm hurting and struggling, I go to the book of Psalms. And because I find comfort in the book of Psalms, I find, you know what? God is there for me. He's going to take care of me. Now, David is a very imperfect character. He doesn't get it all right. And not at any stage does David get it all right. Um, and yet, what we find in the scripture is we find David coming coming with a broken heart to God, confessing his sin to God, and expecting God's mercy in him, and receiving God's mercy in hell. The one time we see David not getting God's mercy in hell uh, is between the time of his sin with Bathsheba and his ultimate confession of the sin and making it right. You know, his bones were broken. He, he, he roared all the day long. Uh, he was consumed with his tears. What? Because of the sin in his life, and he wasn't going to forsake it and walk away from it and do right by it. Uh, you know, he was still hiding it, pretending it didn't happen. And so it wasn't until he dealt with his sin that he was able to sense the presence of God uh, in his life again. And I, here's what I believe. I believe that you can turn your heart against God and ignore him and reject him. And then you can't seem merciless. Looking at the book of Jonah this week, up in the men's home. But in the book of Jonah, uh, Jonah goes his own way. Uh, he, God sends him to Nineveh, he goes his own way, and um, he ends up obviously getting, getting swallowed by the great fish. And three days and three nights later, he prays to God. And God, uh, and, and he confesses his sin to God, and he gets right with God. And he, he says this, he says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. So in other words, those people that live a lie, right, forsake mercy. And that's what Jonah was doing. Jonah had turned, he was going the opposite direction from the way God wanted him to go. Purposefully, intentionally doing his own thing, even though as a prophet, he knew what God wanted him to do. And so God said, okay, well, you can go that way, but you're not going to know my mercy. And so Jonah experiences this dreadful time of no mercy. So much so that when he's, when he's spit up on the beach, when he's vomited up on the beach, uh, he's ready to go to Nineveh then. Still doesn't want to... Still doesn't like the Ninevites, but he's going because he can't live without mercy. And you and I need to understand that too, that we serve a loving God who wants to bless us. It's his nature to bless us. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's his very nature to want to reward us, to want to bless us when we come to him. 
But when we turn away from him purposely, and, and, and let me just help you with this too. It's not that, you know, you got it wrong. You know, you, you started off the day this morning and somebody uh, crossed you, you know, and you, and you got angry with them. You know, uh, that God doesn't turn away from you for that. What's supposed to happen there is you get angry and you get it right. You're not going to get it all right. You're going to have thoughts that are not right. You're going, to, you're going to do those things. But there's something in our hearts that when we turn away from God and decide purposefully and intentionally to go our own way, we're not going to enjoy mercy in our lives. And we need mercy. You need mercy in a broken world as a broken person. Right? But, but what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get a, a biblical picture of who God is. Right? Uh, <clears throat> trying to get an understanding of who God is because it's, so important to our thinking and to our living that we understand who this God is. You see, my, my job is to preach the word of God, right? And when it comes down to it, well, preaching the word of God is about just this fact. I am supposed to teach from the Bible who God is without reserve. I'm supposed to teach it. I'm supposed to be careful to teach it. Now, I'm a human being. Every preacher is a human being. And human beings are influenced by all kinds of things in their own lives. I've got to work hard not to let those things, those influences in my life, color the picture of who God is. It's my job to present who God is from the Bible. And your job to check it out and see if that's true. Actually look to the Word of God and see, you know, is Pastor on the, is he right there in what he's saying about God? It's your job to do that. Now don't check some commentary and don't check YouTube or somebody else, check it out in the Bible. Because a key issue for all of us in our lives is who God is. Now, let's talk a little bit about the influences that create this picture of God in our lives. Right? First of all, there's obviously the church. You go to church, you hear the preaching of the word, uh, you, you, you end up developing a picture uh, of God from the preaching of the word, right? And because all of us are affected by things outside of us, you can end up getting a wrong picture of who God is. You can get a very legalistic picture of who God is. I don't know about you, but you, you, you'll have heard about this because I've heard about it. Uh, you, you, you've heard about young people uh, that have turned away from God, and not only turned away from God, but gone into the world in some of the most wicked ways possible. And you think, how does somebody get from the place where they're... Uh, one point walking with God, and then all of a sudden they're, they're, they're far out in the left field doing their own things. Well, I think what happens is they get a wrong impression of who God is. And they can, they can pick it up in the church. If the church is harsh and legalistic, and we can all be harsh and legalistic. If the church is harsh and legalistic, what happens is people get a wrong impression of who God is, and they're affected by that, and nobody can serve a God that can't be pleased for very long. It's, it's, we're not capable of doing that. We can't always be failing. We can't always be missing it. And so for some, at least, what happens is they run. Now, they're not running from God. They're running from some caricature of God. But unfortunately, uh, the reality in their lives is that they, that they take off running from God. And how does that happen? Well, that can happen because of the culture of the church. And the culture of the church uh, is what I preach and how you portray it in your lives. Because remember, I'm not the church. We're the church. We're all the church. 
right? So if I'm preaching the word, but if you're in your own space, applying it rigidly and legalistically and seeing people uh, hurt with it, and what's happening is they're going to respond to that. But do you know that there's, there's, a, there's a, an even more important place where the culture plays out in people's lives? It's in our homes, right? Uh, your children in your home will reject a God who is legalistic and harsh and overbearing and can't be pleased. You know, they, they, human beings can't live with that. We, we can't always be failing. If we're always failing, what's, what's going to happen is we're going to go on the wall. Right? Now, on the other hand, you can portray a God who's Santa Claus and who anything you want goes and that's fine. That's not who God is either. We have to be honest as far as scripture is concerned. He is a holy God. But he is love. You know, he has, he hates sin. But he is forgiving. We have to portray a picture in our church, in our homes, from the pulpit, as far as I'm concerned, of God as he says he is in the scripture. It's absolutely critical because the most important thinking anybody does is about God. I mean. Look, I, obviously, I don't agree with somebody running away from God, but you know what? If their picture of God is like I had when I was a kid, and all God wants to do is spoil my phone, and um, <clears throat> that he was just me, then I understand why they would run away. I, I understand why they wouldn't want a God like that. So what we need to do is we need to have a proper understanding of God from the pulpit, from our studies, uh, in our own hearts. We need to have a culture that reflects that, that reflects this God is loving and he is good and, and he wants my best. You see, that's a winner for all of us. If, if God wants my best. Now, if you've walked with God for any length of time, you know that in your heart and soul. You know God wants your best. He's all out for you. You know, <clears throat> we need to portray that picture of a God who loves us and is for us. And yes. You know, because of his love for us, he deals harshly with us sometimes. But it's never because he, 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 he dislikes us or he wants nothing to do with us. It's because he loves us that he does, does those things. And, and it's so important that we actually have a culture in our church, in our homes, where we have a God that loves people and that wants to help them and wants to bless them. Because I'm drawn to the Jesus I'm seeing in the book of Luke. I, I want to be around him. He's a very safe person. He's somebody who would not do me wrong. And that's what happens when we portray a right picture of who God is. People get drawn to him. People get drawn to Jesus. I mean, he's a compelling character. And he's, he's not soft and fuzzy and fluffy and whatever, whatever you like goes. But on the other hand, He's incredibly loving. He does things you don't expect him to do. You, you don't expect him to take the woman caught in adultery and say to her, listen, don't sin no more. I mean, if anybody had the right to judge her, uh, Jesus had the right to judge her. You, you don't expect him when Peter, uh, you know, betrays him and curses and swears and, and pretends that he doesn't know anything about Jesus. You don't expect him to love him and to recommission him, but he does. Because he knows man. He knows what's in us. He's not surprised when we fail. <clears throat> you know, that doesn't surprise him. 
what, what he can't do is he can't work with us when we turn away and go our own direction. But the reality is he wants us to come back to him. He always wants us to come back to him. Remember, again, the, the story of Jonah. You know, Jonah gets swallowed by the great fish. What happens then? Well, then he cries out to the Lord. What does the Lord do? Well, the Lord, you know, takes him back, recommissions him, and sends him into Nineveh. And he hasn't even got his heart right, because we know that from the book of Jonah. You know, he still hates the Ninevites. But no one has God's going to work with him, because we serve a God that loves us and is for us. And we have to get a right picture of this God in our minds, and we're going to portray it in our church, we're going to portray it in our homes, and we're going to portray it in our world. This is a God that loves us, right? No, he's not going to just go with anything you throw at him. But his heart is to help you and to bless you. So if you come to him and you've got that wrong and you, you confess the sin and you say, now, Lord, uh, and I love this because uh, I believe it was Brother Andrew, no, Brother Lawrence that used to say this. Uh, he's one of the old mystics. And um, when he sinned, he would come to God and he would say to God, uh, Lord, I sinned. I got it wrong. I did it again. Because that's what I am, and that's what I'll always be apart from you. Lord, would you help me? Now, that's honesty. And we need to be honest with God. But when we're honest with God and face ourselves, God is always going to take us back. He's always going to receive us back, and he's always going to work with us. And that's the God that we need to show people. Because we're, we're not serving a God that is exacting and hateful and angry and vengeful. We're not serving a God like that. We're serving a God who is incredibly loving and forgiving. And yes, holy, but we need to portray that picture. And sometimes what happens is we end up portraying a different picture of God because we're going to want to keep people going in the right direction. And we, we portray a different picture to than who God is, but we need to portray the picture as the Bible says he is and let him deal with people and let people deal with him because ultimately my job as a pastor is to lead people to God. Your job as a church member is to lead people to God, but you can't lead them to a God of your making. I can't lead you to a God of my making. It has to be to the God as he says he is in the scripture. And you know, <clears throat> And, and, and where my mind doesn't line up, where I think Jesus is being, you know, ridiculously soft. You know what? I don't get to judge him. He's God. You know, and we, so we need to come and we need to get our picture of who this God is from the scripture. And we need to teach that picture as well. It's, it's a critical issue when it comes to our thinking. You know, I mean, it's my life, life work. To actually help people see who this God is. And at, some, at, at, at times it's kind of terrifying because I'm a weak human being too. I can get it wrong. I know I've gotten it wrong uh, in, in, in the past. right? And so my job is to give a clear picture of who this God is. Just let the scriptures speak about who this God is. And that's what I love about Luke. We're able to see Jesus as he is and get a clear picture of him. So the culture of your church and the culture of your home will, will affect uh, your thinking. Now, the culture at large will affect your thinking too. 
Christians are not, we don't live in a vacuum. You know, we don't live in church and live in a little cult with no influence in the world. That would be very unhealthy, very bad for us, right? The culture at large uh, infects us. And so you've got to be careful as far as the thinking of the world is concerned. I was reading something recently and I was very struck by the fact that uh, when America thought it was okay to keep slaves, that the Christians backed it up and believed it. And they had slaves too. And you say, hang on a minute, how could they do that? Well, yeah, the scripture does talk about slavery. And I'm sure that the Christians tried to treat their slaves uh, properly. But nonetheless, they went with the idea of taking somebody else by force, bringing them into your home and forcing them to labor for you. That can't be right. That can't, that can't, that can't be uh, right. Remember, what the scripture says about slavery is basically this. What it's saying is it's saying, now look, if you have slaves, this is how you're to treat them. It's not defending the idea of having slaves. But Christians went with it. Why? Because we're influenced by the world around us. We're influenced by the things that happen, happen around us, and our thinking gets influenced by it. And you, you, you've got to be aware of that and understand that, yes, the world's thinking can influence me and have me looking at things from an unbiblical perspective. And you've got to be weighing those things against what the Bible says. Remember, every thought is to be brought into obedience um, to Jesus Christ. That you're to bring every thought into what uh, onto the you know the, the 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 grid of Bible truths, and every thought's got to come in. So, what we tend to do, and all of us do this because it's a very human thing to do, we end up going along with the flow of what's happening in our culture, and we end up being influenced by it much more uh, than we think we are, and not so influenced by what the Scripture says. And so we need to be influenced by what the scripture says. And remember, you, you have the, the world's culture and you have Christian culture. And Christian culture, by the way, it differs everywhere you go. You can easily be led by one or the other. And what you need to do is you need to be led by Bible truth. Now, you know, the only way you're going to do that is you're going to have to be in the Bible. There's no chance that you're going to get up on a Sunday morning and on a Wednesday uh, to give you a grid that's sufficiently informed to help your thinking. Uh, you're going to have to actually get in the Word of God, be in the Word of God every day. You need truth. We all need truth. We're, we're, living, we're living with so many influences around us uh, that tend to, to take us away from truth. We need truth. We need to be in truth. You and I need, both need to be students of the Bible all the time. And what happens is, when you're constantly in the scripture and something's coming your way, you're saying, hang on a minute, what does God say about that? And truth is coming to bear on your mind and helping you to actually look at what's being done around you and think of it, think of it in a biblical way. Think of it in a way that, that well, what would God have to say about this, right? So the culture that we live in has a huge impact upon us. Well, let me give you some of the other things that have an impact on us as well. Friends. Saved and unfriend, unsaved friends have influence over our thinking. Again, you need friends. You're, you're not an island. You need people that you, that, that you can talk to and they can talk to you. Uh, but you've got to be careful. And, you know, don't, don't, don't do this. Don't decide, well, because somebody's saved, everything they're saying is going to be true. That's not necessarily true at all. 
Like, Christians can have wrong thinking too. Again, you've got to be weighing. Remember the picture is bringing every thought into captivity, right? It's capturing the thought and bringing it into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. How does this line up with what Jesus says? How does this line up with who Jesus is? You're to bring every thought. So when you have friends, carefully pick those people that are you're going to open your heart up to and you're going to let uh, speak into your life and into your life. Carefully pick them. They need to be people who are seeking God and you need to be seeking God too. But, but friends are very important, right? Media. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll pause with this one, right? Uh, media. <clears throat> what we see regularly becomes normal to us. Now, that's scary, isn't it? What we see nor regularly becomes normal to us. We have media coming out our ears. We live in the information age. We've got all kinds of things coming out of us day and night. We have these marvelous little things uh, called smartphones, and you pick it up to go and do something, and a half an hour later, you remember what you picked it up to do. And because there's so much stuff going on on that phone. You can see so much on that phone. Now, look, that's the reality of life in the day we, we live in. But you have to be careful what you allow become normal to you. Remember a lot in the Bible. Second Peter 2, verse 7 and 8 says this about Lot. And God delivered just Lot. He was just, by the way. We would call it saved. And God delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. So he was in Sodom, and he was vexed. He was agitated. He was disturbed with their filthy conversation. He was disturbed by what he was around. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. It was seeing and hearing that vexed his righteous soul. Uh, and you know, I need to be aware of that. There's a lot of things that you can see. And if you, if you continually let them in, they will vex your righteous soul. They will become a burden to you. They will become something that, that tears you down rather than builds you up. They will affect your thinking. They will impact your thinking. I mean, in, in our day and age, uh, social media has made an art form out of choosing things that they know will affect us. I mean, when I was growing up, ads went on the telly. They were pretty effective too, by the way. But ads went on the telly. That was lesson. That was broadcast. You, you know, I, I saw uh, ads for everything. Uh, you know, stuff that didn't interest me in the least. I mean, I'm a kid. You've seen ad for a car. doesn't bother me in the least, right? Now what's happening is they're tailoring it all and sending it to my social media to try and influence me. They've made an art format. So you've got to be careful. You've got to actually be careful and understand uh, that these things will influence you. These things will actually uh, make you think in certain ways they're intended to. And, and when it comes to, to your thinking, remember that, that what happens is you end up in, in, in this echo chamber where the things you like on social media keep coming up because that's the way the algorithm works. And what happens is they just feed your thinking. So that we live in a culture now where everybody's polarized because people believe so strongly one thing and they believe so strongly another thing. And part of the reason, at least, is that what's happening is that's what they're seeing all the time. So you go searching for something and 
uh, Google or somebody else clocks that, and they start showing up stuff uh, like that. I, I, I was looking at a veranda recently, and um, you know, then it just keeps coming up all the time. The idea of verandas, you know, the pictures of verandas and so on from everywhere. How do they know what's going on in my mind? Well, they almost do, but by, by, by what you're looking at. And so you got to be careful because those things are huge influences in our lives. And, you know, you can't avoid those things completely. You can't go and live on Inishpatham and cut out your internet and everything else. That's probably not going to work very well for you. Um, might be nice to do for a while, but it's probably not going to be life for you. But what you do have to do is you do have to regulate it. And you have to be careful. And you have to be careful what something is doing to you. And Remember, you can't have a, you know, a law about that because what it would do to you is not the same as what it would do to me. How something affects me is not the way it's going to affect you. You've got to actually be in the place where you're walking with God in such a way that you're able to filter the things that are coming your way and you're able to actually, you know, um, bring them into captivity, run them through that grid. Is this true? Is this right? And remember, that means you've got to be in the scripture. You've got to be in the scripture regularly and letting the scripture run through. It's got to be in your head all the time because you're living, you know, really on a foreign planet. And you need to be in that place where scripture is having an impact. Scripture is actually checking your thinking on it and you're allowing it. All right, now we'll come back to this thought next week because I want to look at some examples uh, and we'll talk our way through them, right? But what our, our, our main topic is this, right? Keep your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. Your life is getting driven by what's in your heart. Your thinking about God is the supreme driver in your life, if you want to put it that way. Who you believe God is is the supreme driver in your life. You've got to get that right. You've got to get that from the Bible. And then you've got to watch these other influences, friends and media, uh, and things that, that, that influence you, the culture that influence you, you got to watch those things and bring them uh, into place. Because remember this, we're, we're incredibly complex creatures, right? We can know truth on the one hand and yet do completely different to the truth that we know. So what you got to do is you got to reconcile those two. That's called integrity. That's called you actually believing truth and living truth at the same time. And, and when you do that, when you get your thinking straight and you believe truth and you live truth at the same time, you know what? You're going to enjoy blessing on your life. Because remember, God's heart is to bless you. And, and you have to get in the way to stop him from blessing you. So when you, when you get your thinking in the place where you're thinking biblically, biblically and you're acting on your thinking, then what you're going to enjoy is you're going to enjoy that mercy in your life that is just a sweet uh, and blessed thing. But it's got to be biblical it's got to be true it's got to be a right picture of who god is it's got to be what the scripture says all right well let's have a word of prayer there and then i'm going to give you a chance if you want to uh say anything or ask a question father in heaven would you bless us now or we want you we, we want to have right thinking about you lord i pray that you bless me as i study and as i look to the word lord uh that the lord uh, i would be able to see clearly so that i can teach clearly who it is that you are and Lord, I pray for these people. Lord, would you immerse them in the word, draw them deep in the word, that our thinking might be uh, that thinking, Lord, that, that honors you. And oh, Lord, that every thought may be brought into captivity. Now, Lord, bless us. May we be uh, a people uh, that you can show mercy on 
every day because, Lord, our hearts are to walk with you. We're not perfect, Lord, uh, but may it be that, that, that our hearts are to walk with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.